Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Well, we've gone from uh, no drama Obama, remember those days, <laughs> to constant chaos Trump. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Tuesday, new month, first day of August. How about it? The Bill Press Show barrels on, as always, uh, month in, month out, day in, day out with all the news of the day. And again, there is a lot happening. We've told you don't feel sorry for Sean Spicer. Then don't feel sorry for Runs Priebus. Well, don't feel sorry for the Mooch either. He's the latest one to fall. Now seven White House staffers in the last six months have gotten the axe. But Donald Trump insists there is no chaos here. We are a smooth running machine. Well, hello, everybody. Great to see you today on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, and on Free Speech TV, looking at you nationwide, coast to coast, with all the news of the day. Yes, the top stories. The Mooch is out. Uh, John Kelly, new chief of staff, showing who is in charge, uh, at least um, <laughs> in that particular case, uh, at the White House. Washington Post reporting that uh, Donald Trump may be in to him, him, the daddy may be in more trouble than we thought because he is the one who crafted the big lie about the meeting his son had with those Russian representatives at Trump Tower. On North Korea, president says, don't worry about it. We're going to handle it. No idea what they're going to do, but we're going to handle it. And Donald Trump's latest poll, the one that he shows and brags about all the time, is the latest one to come out with the lowest poll numbers of any president in the last 75 years. We'll get into all of that with you and look forward to hearing from you on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news here on a Tuesday. You yes. remember the name Steve Bartman? Yeah, I do, Steve actually. Steve Bartman is the man who, back in 2003, Game 6 of the National League Championship Series, tipped a foul ball. <laughs> He's a Chicago Cubs fan, and it turned the game around against. He stole that ball right out of the team, glove of that Moises right Moises Alou. Yes. Well, 14 years later, after the Chicago Cubs won their World Series last year, Tom Ricketts and the owners of the Chicago Cubs decided that Steve Bartman should go ahead and get himself a World Series championship ring, hoping to finally just take the burden off of Steve Bartman after all these years. Um, good idea or bad idea, Bill? A lousy idea. <laughs> Has he been back to a Cubs game since? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think so. I would. He, I, I would seriously doubt. He was it. escorted. Yeah. I mean, security had to get him out of the stadium. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there are these stories every so often about people whose lives get completely ruined by something stupid that happened in sports. Yeah, yeah. And, like, relax, everybody. Get, get over yourself. But he did steal that. He reached out. I, 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 Look, I mean, it was a guy, dumb thing. The guy could have caught the ball. Yeah, he could have caught the ball. It was a yeah. stupid thing to do. But, right. uh, I mean, the guy can't even walk around Chicago anymore. So at least he gets a World Cup. Cubs fans, man. Uh, sports fans in general. I mean, this is. I mean, this yeah. happens. This, this is not just a Steve Bartman story. You know, this happens like. Yeah. Uh, it, it happened a couple of times, but anyway, hopefully this will just put the whole thing. Why to would bed. they ban him from the stadium for life? Cub fan will maybe let him live. I guess who knows. HBO. How about the Billy Goat? Does the Billy Goat get a? Oh, get the a Billy ring? Goat. Yeah, the, the curse. I guess is gone there too, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yes. HBO has got some problems because somebody hacked into their servers and got lots of content. They announced that they had a major cyber attack, which means that some content from their big show right now, Game of Thrones, which is on air, oh. they've gotten the script for what looks like next week's show, along with uh, some other episodes of the TV show's Ballers and Room 104. You know what this is? Mm. This is payback for this little confederacy show that they're putting together. Oh, sure. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But they, I mean, they, they've acknowledged that they had this problem, so it's not good. It's Vlad. Don't it's put Vlad. Confederates on TV. Yeah. Hootie's doing it again. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Adios, muchachu. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He is out of here. Oh, the mooch goes bye-bye. First act of new chief of staff, John Kelly, and a sign of loyalty. Donald Trump talks about how much loyalty he wants from his staff. Yeah. Uh, He didn't show much loyalty to the Mooch, nor should he have. No tears shed for him. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the month of August here. August 1 it is. This is the Bill Press Show, as always, coming to you live, as always, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you all. Thank you for joining us. Good to have you on board today. We've got lots to talk about, and we will bring you up to date on all the news here in Washington. On the Hill down at the White House, out around the country, and all around the globe. We're looking at you coast to coast on Free Speech TV. Good to be with you here in TV land. Uh, we're looking at you also coast to coast on online YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, and out the Chicago area. Hello, hello, Chicago on WCPT. Don't forget our podcast up in Delaware the other day. Um, Sunday with uh, some family members. They were all telling me they, they've really discovered that the podcast is the way to go. Don't get up early. Able to see the show every day on YouTube, but uh, the podcast, which you can find, of course, at BillPressShow.com. Can I just say, by the way, you may. you've got to, got to, got to, got to, got to go to Patreon.com slash BP Show. Sorry, I didn't mention that. No, 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 because we put this uh, interview up with Ann Hornaday, the uh-huh. movie critic from the Washington Post. So good. Such a good interview. And it's not just all about talking about movies and things like that. Mm. We talk about kind of her process of reviewing movies and also, I mean, the fact that movies are political and she will go there. She goes there on a lot of political issues. As they relate to movies. So uh, it's $5 a month. You get interviews like that. 
Plus your all parting s- shot every day. All special stuff that you don't hear in the air. Right. The only place you can get it is patreon.com slash BP show. All right. You got it. Yes, indeed. What a big surprise yesterday uh, awaited the mooch when he walked in. Now, remember, it was only 10 days ago uh, that uh, Donald Trump announced that he was the new communications director at the White House. Uh, Sean Spicer abrupt, abruptly resigning because this was a move that he and Steve Bannon and Reince Priebus all recommended against. Uh, and Sean Spicer resigned when Trump made the announcement. Uh, Reince Priebus hung on for like a week until uh, Scaramucci actually stabbed him in the back, convinced Donald Trump to fire him. But that was 10 days ago. Uh, Scaramucci lasted at the White House 10 whole days. So you could say he only held his job for 10 days. Actually, he wasn't supposed to officially take over until (laughs) August 15. So he was fired on July 31. You might say he was minus 16 days in his tenure uh, at the White House. And it was three days after he released that expletive-filled uh, vulgarities, string of vulgarities against Reince Priebus uh, to Ryan Lisa, Lisa of the uh, New Yorker. Uh, and um, that really brought about his downfall. John Kelly, new uh, General John Kelly, Secretary John Kelly, rightfully said, if I'm going to be in charge of this White House, I'm going to have to be in charge of this White House. And uh, everybody's going to have to report to me. Scaramucci said, no, I'm going to report to the president. Uh, that wasn't uh, acceptable to John Kelly. So on this one case, Donald Trump uh, gave in and uh, actually for the first time that we've seen, uh, took a step to, toward any sense of discipline at the White House or any sense of command, chain of command uh, at the White House. Although yesterday morning, Donald Trump still tweeted out, no chaos at White House. Yeah, no chaos at White House. CBS News last night showed the seven people at the White House. This is uh, Mooch makes seven top officials at the White House who have been fired in the last six months. Now, I'm sorry, we have never seen, never, not even under hapless Jimmy Carter, did we see a White House totally in free fall, out of control, in chaos like this one? And those seven people, of course, Michael Flynn, a national security advisor, KT McFarlane, Uh, who was also a national security advisor in the White House, Katie Walsh, who was in the communications department, Mike Dumpke, Dumpke, rather, who was the first communications director appointed. We never really saw of him. No. And and then uh, that's four. So Spicer and Priebus and now the Mooch. Those seven do not count the two firings from the Justice Department, Sally Yates, acting attorney general, fired by Donald Trump, and, of course, James Comey, the White House, uh, uh, the FBI director. So you talk about a White House. No chaos at the White House. There is nothing but chaos at the White House. And, you know, we wish uh, General Kelly well. He's a, he, as I said yesterday, he's a, served his country well. He's a great American. He's an American patriot. But he's put in an impossible situation trying to organize and dis- and restore or no, create some order at the White House with a guy at the very top who is out of control, who loves people coming in and out of the White House, who tweets nonstop, who insults his staffers, who insults anybody who disagrees with him, who even insults and attacks his own members of his own cabinet that he appointed. 
just ask Jeff Sessions. And the, the, the insults that he that he railed out, laid out against Reince Priebus and Sean Spicer while they were there. So um, the big question is, beyond Mooch, how much discipline is uh, John Kelly going to be able to bring to the White House? And one big question is, what about the people now who have direct, total access, direct, and don't have to go through any chief of staff, to the president of the United States? Three of them in particular, and I think there are more, uh, are Jared Kushner, son-in-law, Ivanka, daughter, and Steve Bannon. I mean, do you real? There's also Hope Hicks, by the way, and Omarosa Manigo, uh, comes to him from the Apprentice days, of course. Do you really think those people who've been for six months now, right, able to walk in, in and out, talk to Donald Trump anytime they want, go with him on the plane, on the helicopter, do you think they're going to say, okay, from now on, really, they're going to go through John Kelly? Do you think Ivanka is going to knock on John Kelly's door and say, can I see my daddy? Of course not. You think what Trump says, hey, let's go over, let's go over to the Trump Hotel for dinner tonight, right? <laughs> uh, you think they're going to say, well, first, I have, to, I have to ask John Kelly first. I have to ask General Kelly first for permission. No. It's still no, sir. Be, no, no. It is still going to be chaotic. Donald Trump going out of his way yesterday morning with reporters to uh, heap praise on General Kelly. He's going to do a spectacular job. He will do a spectacular job, I have no doubt, as chief of staff. Yes, indeed. And in fact, he in history is going to show him, just like history will show me that I am the greatest president since Abraham Lincoln. He said that last week, by the way. Uh, history is going to show that uh, uh, John Kelly, greatest ever. I predict that uh, General Kelly will go down in terms of the position of chief of staff, one of the great ever. You know, why does everything have to be, right? Right. Remember he He's going to do a wonderful job. We're he happy said about his cabinet when he was still president-elect, uh, we've assembled the most intelligent cabinet in the history of the United States of America. I mean, everything's got to be, right? Everything's got to be like the Trump Tower with the great big, the biggest building ever with the big T on yeah. top of it, right? Yeah. Everything that he does, everything anybody else does. With the exception of the late, great Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> I can be more presidential than any president that's ever held this office. That I can tell you. Well, I can't believe he didn't mention Reagan. That's their, uh, their go-to. Well, what I like is at least he said it is the late Abraham Lincoln, unlike Frederick Douglass. <laughs> Right. Lots of people are hearing about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, he, he's doing They're great. They're finding out more and more. He's doing some great things. He's doing some great things. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, that so we'll see what happens with this uh, with the new face at uh, at the White House. I'm going to tell you, I think it is uh, it maybe a little different, but you can't. You can, we've said it so many times. The problem with the White House is not with the staff. It's with the guy at the very top. Who is even maybe more hot water today than he realizes? Over that meeting, remember, way back on June 9, 2016, Donald Trump Jr. and his meeting with the Russian representatives at Trump Tower in New York. When the New York Times found out about that meeting and they were going to report it, they, of course, asked the White House uh, for a response. Uh, and this was, if you recall, not that long ago, when Donald Trump was leaving the G20 in Hamburg, Germany. 
uh, that meeting where he met with Vladimir Putin and where he hoped to put the whole Russian mess behind him, right? And as he's leaving the meeting, they learn that the New York Times is going to report the next day about this, uh, until then, unreported meeting with this representative from the, this lawyer with close ties to the Kremlin who came to Trump Tower, emailed ahead of time. Uh, we've got some, the, some from some Kremlin sources. We have dirt on Hillary Clinton. We want to get to the Trump campaign. And Donald Trump Jr. says, remember, I love it. I love it. That's what you say it is. I love it. Okay. Here's what's reported today on the front page of the Washington Post. What the New York, what, so what the White House said to the New York Times was a little statement from Donald Jr. saying this was a um, totally innocent meeting and all we talked about were, was Russian adoption and there was no discussion of any campaign or of any politics or the campaign at all. Again, front page Washington Post reports today that that statement was written by the president himself, dictated by the president himself on Air Force One as they were flying back from the G20 summit, which, of course, turns out to be a big lie. Even Donald Trump and Jared Kushner, who testified last week, and others who are at the meeting say, now, this meeting, they did talk about campaign stuff. They say there wasn't a lot of, lot of stuff there. They didn't get anything out of it, they say. But it was a campaign conversa- conversation about the campaign. It was not about adoptions. Uh, who told that big lie? Donald Trump himself, uh, as the Washington Post reports today. This really does open the door wide to the charge of obstruction of justice. There's no other way you can... I mean, he, in other words, he lied about what this meeting was all about, uh, lied to the New York Times, and that, that, uh, that of course, lie went to the Robert Mueller, who is investigating it right now, whether or not the White House and Donald Trump himself did try to uh, interfere with the Russian investigation and throw people off. The thing you have to remember here. But clearly he did. This is, a, this is a big, big. No, it's a big deal. Serious I mean, look, charge. We, 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 this is piling up more and more and more and more. But the one thing you have to remember is they know how bad this looks. Just look to. Last month, with Jay Sekulow, was out doing all of these media appearances. I guess it was oh. four weeks ago, five weeks, something like probably, that, right? Probably 50 times he yeah. said Trump had nothing to do with this. Yeah, uh, so at least t- at least two times on the Sunday shows alone, he was asked specifically about this statement, right? Like, he said multiple times Donald Trump never had anything to do with it, yep. with the, yep. meeting the Russians, never met the mm-hmm. Russians, anything like that. But he was asked specifically about this statement. And he says, quote, I do want to be clear. The president was not involved in the drafting of the statement and did not issue the statement. End quote. That was with Chuck Todd. Four days earlier, in an interview with ABC's Good Morning America, Seculo said, quote, the president didn't sign off on anything and wasn't involved with this statement. End quote. So, like, they know how bad this is and he, and, and clearly lied about it a couple yeah, of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't believe anybody around the White House, including Donald Trump's attorney, Jay Sekulow, that he would go out there and say that. Right? It's like they sent. We're all a bunch of liars, all of them. (laughs) Remember Mike Pence? They sent Mike Pence out there to say Michael Flynn never talked about sanctions with Ambassador Kislyak. No, 
Never, never. The subject never came up. And then Mike Pence found out they had lied to him. Yeah. Then he lied to the media. So uh, the whole gang of them. Uh, one other thing that uh, is, uh, is, continues to trouble the, way, uh, the uh, Trump White House uh, won't, won't go away. They've tried to dismiss it. Uh, are Donald Trump's comments, we talked about these yesterday, in front of the law enforcement officers up at Suffolk County, Long Island, on Friday, uh, where he told them, uh, basically, come on, rough them up a little bit. I don't want you to be too nice. Remember, we heard from him yesterday. When you see these thugs being thrown into the back of a paddy wagon. You just see them thrown in, rough. I said, please don't be too nice. Mm-hmm. Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday at uh, our briefing at the White House saying, Oh, come on. He was just joking. I believe he was making a joke at the time. Yeah, right. Uh, This is not something you joke about. I don't get it. Urging cops to rough up their suspects, right, after what we've seen, particularly this particular one, when you throw them in the car, right, when you throw them in the police wagon, you know, don't do anything to protect them, right? This is the Freddie Gray all over again, right? Donald Trump about... Don't put their hand on top of the head to protect them when you're putting them in the car. Uh, and then, so Sarah Sanders saying it was all a joke. Chris Christie yesterday, too, on uh, on CNN with uh, with Jake Tapper. Oh, come on, Jake. He's just kidding around. I don't believe he thinks that, you know, police should rough people up. Um, but I think that he, you know, he makes jokes and is sarcastic. And I think he's still getting used to how that's going to be received when you're president. You know what? I think he does sure. believe. Police should rough people up. And again, I come back to his rallies. He said it over and over. We can play that over and over again, right? He said, come on with these protesters. Punch them out. Wish I could do it. You do it, and I'll pay your legal costs. He said that over and over again. But, like, let's let's just say that it was a joke. or that Like, what? I I, I honestly don't get it. What's the joke? Yeah, exactly, right. Where's the comedy in it? I, I don't understand. Especially, what? like, you are speaking for everybody in America when you're president of the United States. And you're saying this person, they're in handcuffs, yeah. by the way, already. Yeah. They have not been convicted of anything. They could, and we've seen this enough evidence, they could very, 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 very well be innocent of any crime whatsoever. Yeah. But you're going to rough them up. Let me look, just Donald just Trump. look at, t- 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 throw a dart at a newspaper, right? And mm-hmm. you'll see a story about police... That have roughed up, uh, especially minorities, but across the board, right? There was a story about a y- like a younger white kid who was caught with some weed, and they strapped him to a chair and tased him for three hours. That's roughing him up, mm-hmm. right? That's roughing him up. We've got this Freddie Gray story where they took him and threw him in the back of the van, gave him a rough ride, and he died, and nobody got charged with anything. That's roughing him up. That's what Donald Trump is advocating. Exactly. Yeah. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Sure it's like yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. Sure yeah. could. Yeah, that was a joke too. Uh, at any rate, that's not going away and more and more police departments have come out and just said, uh, no, Mr. President, that's not funny uh, and we don't, we don't believe that and we don't um, uh, practice that uh, and we don't condone that and we condemn your remarks. So again... In one week, the Boy Scouts of the United States and law enforcement officers, uh, departments all across the country saying, um, we're sorry we invited the president to speak to us and we disassociate ourselves from any remarks that he made. When you add it all up, no wonder the latest Rasmussen poll 
brought some bad news for Donald Trump yesterday. And by the way, so there have been a lot of polls that have showed him pretty far down in in favorability. And Donald Trump always says, <clears throat> no, no, no. The Rasmussen poll shows that I'm like 45 or 50 or whatever. This is the one poll that leans right. This is the Trump-friendly poll of all the national polls, Rasmussen. Yeah. Well, Rasmussen yesterday came out with this latest survey. Uh, favorability rating for Donald Trump, according to the Rasmussen poll, is now at 39%, which is actually a little lower than all the rest of the polls. So they've caught up with him as well. So have the American people. Again, the lowest rate of any president in the last, favorability rate of any president in the last uh, 75 years. Uh, uh, on a couple of other issues that uh, did come up yesterday, by the way, you don't have to worry at all now. This is, this is really, I'm, I'm so happy we don't have to worry about North Korea. <laughs> because uh, reporters did have a chance at the, when the, when the pool was in yesterday, um, for the swearing in of a general, uh, now chief of staff, John Kelly. Um, the president was asked about North Korea, uh, this new intercontinental ballistic missile. Donald Trump said, when I'm president, they will never launch a missile that can reach the United States. Uh-oh. Uh, they have. This Uh-oh. is the second one they've launched, which could reach the United States. But Donald Trump says, don't worry, we're on top of it. We'll handle North Korea. We're going to be able to handle it. It'll be, uh, it will be handled. We handle everything. Don't, aren't you just? Aren't you Isn't just? Yeah, I, I, uh, God. I, I, why were no, we even worrying? No, I was why were we even handled? No. I was How to, many times does he say "handled" in that no. clip? No, I was going to worry about North Korea today, but now I'm not. Well, we know it's handled. It's, it's going to be handled. We handle everything. We handle everything. Yeah. Well, we're going to be able to handle it. It'll be. Uh, it will be handled. <laughs> he don't even, even know what he's talking. We're going to handle North Korea. We're going to be able to handle North Korea. I know. We'll handle North Korea. I know. <laughs> we have to stop playing this game of what if. I know. George, I know. what if, not just what if Barack Obama said that. Yeah. What if George Bush said that? Again, this this White House, what if the button-down George W. Bush White House, right? If anybody, like we said this yesterday, Scaramucci, anybody came up and said anything close to what Scaramucci said under George W. Bush, he'd be out the door so fast, right? Uh, and the same thing under President Obama. Oh, my God. At any rate... How am I know. doing? Am I doing okay? I'm yeah. president. Hey, I'm president. Yeah, we're doing all right. Yeah, it, right? right. And by the way, his uh, his dealings with Russia, boy, that was a huge, great, great success too. Uh, Vladimir Putin kicking 755 people out of our embassies yesterday. About 150 Americans arrested are Russian citizens who work at the embassies. Um, uh, and um, so the, the the reset with Russia doesn't seem to be working You out. know, someone made the point on Twitter yesterday, Trump responds to the smallest of slights oh, yeah. on Twitter, in public. He has yet to say a word about this. No. It's a huge deal. Right, yeah. But he had Mike Pence has to say it. Mike, Mike Pence is over there. In yeah. Estonia. In Estonia, right. <laughs> he said yesterday, uh, Mike Pence, we're going to hold Russia accountable. Under President Trump. The United States will continue to hold Russia accountable for its actions. And we call on our European allies and friends to do the same. Right. Uh, hey, Mike, you rough up of Vladimir Putin. I don't want to do that because uh, he is uh, my buddy. Uh, finally, finally, we got to mention about health care. We, uh, we know that uh, Sunday and yesterday, uh, Donald Trump tweeting and 
kind of challenging Republican senators not to give up on the health care battle. We can't. Remember um, Mick Mulvaney, the budget director, who told them they can't vote on anything else. This is what we want from the White House. And Tom Price was out there on Sunday as well saying, we don't want anything else to happen in the Senate. They can't vote on anything else until they pass some kind of a health care bill. Yesterday, the Republican leadership in the Senate said, basically, we're not listening. We don't care. We want to move on. John Cornyn, number two among Senate Republicans, said, uh, Mick Mulvaney's got a big job. He ought to do his job and let us do our job. Mm. We want to move on. Roy Blunt from Missouri, part of the Republican leadership, said, it's time to move on. Let's get some wins on the board. Then maybe later we'll come back and take a look at health care. Pretty good sign. I mean, as we reported yesterday and as our guest told us yesterday, that the health care battle is, I mean, the Republicans lost it. Plain end of story, period. I don't know where they go from here. Uh, and they got nowhere. They have nowhere to go from here. Right. Uh, and Donald Trump is threatening to take health insurance away from Republican senators and threatening uh, to take subsidies away for um, 6 million Americans uh, from insurance companies. Uh, they might do that, but that doesn't mean I hope he doesn't do that. That'll hurt millions of people. But uh, that that's not going to get the Republican senators uh, to do what the White House wants, which is to pass a bad bill that will create even more problems for them in, 20, uh, in 2018. We've got a great group of guests coming up here, by the way. Uh, Brad Woodhouse joins us next. Brad Woodhouse, uh, Democratic strategist, former communications director for the DNC, to talk about some of the big races this year, next year, and, by gosh, already the last couple of days, stories about people who are out there already looking at 2020. Medea Benjamin joins us a little bit later. She is just back from South Korea to talk about the tension on the Korean Peninsula. Medea Benjamin from Code Pink. And then later, Ayesha Roscoe, who is a White House correspondent for Reuters, uh, talking about what we can expect next from the White House and whether John Kelly is really going to be get to get this White House uh, under control. A quick break here. We'll be back with Brad Woodhouse. My decision was to recommend to the president that I give Anthony and, and Sarah uh, a clean slate to start from. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. What do you say on Tuesday, uh, first day of August 2017? Uh, great to see you today. Thanks for being with us. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital, our studio right here on uh, Capitol Hill. Brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, the one and only Leo Girard, uh, the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Salute them for their good work and um, for their support of the program. Joining us Democrat here in studio, our good friend, Democratic strategist Brad Woodhouse. Uh, we <coughs> first got to know him when he was a communications director with yep. the DNC. Uh, that's sort of like people say, <laughs> the other day I was on a show and somebody 
with John King at CNN, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he said, uh, and former chair of the Democratic Party in California, like 20 years well, ago. I know, I It'll nev- you'll never live it down, well, Brad. You'll never live it down, but it's a great credential, right? I mean, you know, you work for the party. You help, you know, in, in help our case, the party we were there. In California. You help yeah, build, right. build the party in California. We help. Yeah, we helped pass the Obamacare. Speaking about was, California, how yeah. about it? Do you have your tickets yet for the Summer Olympics, uh, L.A.? Yeah, that's story coming up. Yeah. Well, that's so, twenty twenty eight. So not to not to politicize the Olympics, but I, one of the things that I found fascinating last night was that Sean Spicer, who I thought was fired as White House press secretary, tweeted from the press secretary account the president's statement. Uh, congratulating Los Angeles for getting the Olympics. I I I, I know Sean. I, I wish Sean well once he once he leaves the White House. But I think he was. Ju- I think just tweeting that statement from the White House press secretary's account was just <laughs> rubbing salt in Scaramucci's <laughs> I mean, wound. There is something to be said that like the press sec <laughs> Twitter handle, which which precedes Sean Spicer, right? Like that's, right, right, that, right, like, right. that's just like the official. Thing. It's still Sean Spicer. Yeah, and why it still has his name on there? Why hasn't it gone to Sanders? It is uh, uh, you know beyond me, but. You know, but she'll get it. She'll get it. The tweet speaks for itself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Listen, uh, there you go. On his job, man. There yeah. you go. All right, you know my theory? My theory is that uh, Kelly asks Sean Spicer to stay on as communications director. Oh my well, we'll I, I've seen oh people tweet that. I find that that would be... He he was wearing both hats. Yeah, he yeah. was, he was wearing while. both hats. And, and he's still in the White House. He's in there every day. And unless, uh, you know, unless... Uh, General Kelly wants to go through with what Scaramucci had planned to do, which was to essentially wipe away any vestige of Sean Spicer or Rank Priebus's underlings in the White House. Then, you know, there'd be worse ideas because Sean could take that job and not, you know, be lampooned by Saturday Night Live any longer by, ta- by you know, being at the podium. And, and leave Sarah Sanders <clears throat> to do that. Leave Sarah right. Sanders to do, to do that. So. Right. But that would be such a reversal for Trump that I'm not. I'm not convinced it'll happen, but but look, there there's nothing, absolutely nothing. I had to walk in here and ask this morning: Has the guy tweeted today? I mean, because you know, because there's really nothing that is beyond this. Uh, I haven't seen White it House today. No, I don't think he has. But I mean, it's just like you just can't even I just keep up. Just he hasn't have, tweeted yet this morning. I just have tweets from Peter Ogburn this morning. <laughs> He's the other guy that He's the other nonstop. 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 I, do, I, do lo- I do love in the middle of all this craziness. First of all, yesterday he says, no White House chaos. Right. Then all hell breaks All loose. hell breaks loose. And then last night he tweeted, just a great day at the White House. That's just the, oh, that's the That was his tweet for the night. Right. So, so a Trump great, lives by, That's a great day at the White House? Trump lives by the, by the idea that if you say it, People will yeah. believe it, yeah. and you know the truth is is that a lot of his supporters will believe it. They will believe it. It was a great day at the White House. General right. Kelly came in, and <laughs> have we ever seen a White House in such chaos? Not, not or in such uh, free fall, or n- whatever. not, no. not in, not in my lifetime. And the 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 thing that, that that I find amazing about it is how little um, how little Republicans in Congress are exerting. Uh, their their authority because look sometimes you know look we've had we've had uh, we've had people in Congress who had a president of their party in the White House uh, it, it, who they found licensed to criticize when the White House was doing things that were um, that were outside of you know White House tradition that were not normal or whatever or whatever the case is and these Republicans are feckless McConnell Ryan 
all of the rest, and they they've taken a a party that that had uh, that had tried to uh, claim the real estate of this moral high ground, and they yeah. have ceded it, um, and they've debased. Not only is Trump debasing the presidency, Republicans have debased uh, have debased their party by by essentially accepting the notion that as long as we have a shot at taking away people's health care, at taking away Medicaid, at potentially privatizing Social Security, at passing large, large tax cuts for the wealthy and the rich, then anything goes. Mm. No matter what Trump wants, no matter yeah. what Trump says, anything goes. Because we're at the precipice of realizing our dream, which is to roll back entitlement, which was to roll back government uh, being a force for good. And that explains Paul Ryan in a, in a nutshell, show, right? In a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, Paul this Ryan has, has done his such agenda. a one. Now he's got somebody who will sign any bill he puts in front of any him. Bill. Any bill. And he doesn't care what he does. That's right. And he's done such a 180 from the Access Hollywood tape because, you know, the, the, the Republican caucus met after the Access Hollywood tape came out during the campaign. Ryan essentially told people that they should distance themselves from Trump, that he was writing off Trump. And boy, he has done a 180 since then. Right. Uh, you mentioned health care. Yeah. Um, what kind of a political liability or political reality is this uh, Republican failure to to repeal Obamacare and now trying to still trying to undercut it and undermine it? Going to prove for them? Do you believe? Well, I, they I, own it now, don't they, they? They they own it. Every poll that I have seen. Um, uh, it says that they that they own it. In fact, what what is what is interesting and a little bit depressing <laughs> is is that the polls that have come out, um, uh, polls that have come out since the collapse of their effort to repeal Obamacare, show that they're going to own it more in, in w- within the Republican base. They're going to own it. The Republicans on Capitol Hill, Republican members of Congress, more than Trump. You know, Trump didn't. Yeah. Trump didn't run around the country holding rallies as president. Uh, trying to help, he he did. He actually did a couple very very late in the game, but he he did not do the type of bully pulpit mm-hmm. stuff to no. get this repealed that Obama did to get it to get it passed. And then when it became a political liability for Democrats, it it was spread not just uh, not just members of Congress in 2010, but the you know but the president's popularity suffered. Now, of course, Obama turned all that around in 2012. He he made a better argument on health care. Of course, had somebody he was running against somebody who had passed the basically the same law in uh, in mm-hmm. Massachusetts. Um, but it is interesting. They are going they're going to own this. And I I'll I tell you I can't figure out for the life of me having you know been involved in campaigns and working for politicians. I can't figure out Dean Heller for the life of me. I mean this guy cut his cut his wrist and then shot himself in the head uh, you know i mean he you know he yeah. he he came out very strongly against the, the the original senate version which was similar to the to the house version that made massive cuts to to medicaid ended the medicaid uh, medicaid expansion did all this to transfer money to the rich through through tax cuts came out very strongly against it but then when it came down to a motion to go on to a bill he supported it then he supported skinny repeal, which is governor, yeah. uh, which is governor opposed. And I, I, I think uh, I said at the time uh, I, I tweeted Dean Heller uh, a link to the uh, to the classified ads in the Nevada Independent newspaper. <laughs> I think I, I think he's going to mm-hmm. be I think he's going to be looking for a job because you really can't square all the sides that he's been on. And the two votes that he cast for skinny repeal 
and the vote that he cast uh, for the motion to proceed to these horrible bills that would take health care away from millions was after Trump threatened him in the White House. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, chicken ass, so it, to speak. It, absolutely. Yeah. And it really is remarkable to see where everybody sh- like shook out on that last vote. And I think it's worth pointing out all of the people who uh, let their voices be heard, and, fr- and some of them got arrested, mm-hmm. to, tr- to really try and hold Republicans. Uh, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins were consistent throughout. That's right. And I think uh, the big reason for those two is because of the voices that they heard at home. That's absolutely right. I, the, the, the grassroots energy around defending. I, I, I told somebody it was, you know, a, a little ironic to some extent. There was a lot more grassroots energy around stopping them from repealing Obamacare than we had when we were trying to pass it. Mm-hmm. And we did yeah. have, yeah. we did have, we did have a lot. I, I'm not going to say we didn't have, but but y- y'all remember 2009, 2000. The grassroots then was against. It, it was the, the, the grassroots the, then the, was the Koch brothers paid for town halls. They did. The, the Koch yeah. brothers were busing people into town halls. The insurance companies mm-hmm. at the outset were busing people into town halls, and we had uh, relatively fewer right. uh, grassroots uh, grassroots support. Look, I, I think opposition is always tends to be a little bit easier. It's yeah, on the people yeah. that are trying to do something to explain it in intricate right. detail. The people that are opposing it just say, hands off my health care, you know. Right. So, uh, but, but what was organized uh, on, the, on the grassroots level, groups like you know, Protect Our Care, uh, family, uh, Families USA, Move On, Indivisible. I mean, you go on... Moms demand action. Oh, yeah. You go on down the line. We've had, was, they've all been in here, and they're all, all doing a great and, and job. I, and I'll I, tell you, if, if if this is at all reflective of the grassroots energy we're going to have going forward, um, especially in in the in the midterms, then I think I think Democrats stand a really, you know, a really good chance. Now, I, what I would remind people is, is that say we go in the midterms and win, you know, and we win a net twenty house seats. I mean, so we wouldn't capture. That's the not enough. Yeah, right. It's but. not enough. Um, you know, so we have we have a big hill to climb. So it means that that people who are thinking about running for office in places that may look like long shots against uh, House Republicans, by God, run. You know, because this could be that type of that type of election where if we have enough people running in enough districts, uh, particularly those that you know were won by Hillary Clinton, particularly those that were closer margin than say the Georgia special election that we that we narrowly lost then you know we stand a, we stand a real shot you you mentioned um uh the, the this heller and where president trump threatened basically threatened him he did yeah yeah he he wants to still be a senator so you someone to meaning uh the threat was we'll run somebody against you if you in don't the vote the right, right way in the yeah. primary uh, I wonder how real that threat really is. There have also been a couple of stories in the last couple, and you know, with your time at the DNC, I'm interested in your perspective, that with Reince Priebus gone, in effect, Donald Trump is a man without a party. Yeah. So, like, he has no ties anymore to the... So, if does he really have a political organization that could challenge some of these senators, or is it all an empty threat? Well, I think, I think there are a couple things going on. I do think he... He does not have ties to the establishment within um, within the White House, but you know, technically and procedurally and historically and traditionally speaking, he is the head of the party as long as he's a, as long as he's a Republican. And the Republican National Committee uh, is depending on him. Now, the the Republican National Committee has raised seventy five million dollars year to date, 
and that's a, a, a whole boatload of, of money. Yeah. And a lot of that is attributable to the fact that he is already raising money for the RNC for his own uh, for his own reelection. So, you know, candidates uh, candidates and their own committees that are running running for president cannot uh, do it on their own. They need you know the, the parties can take much bigger yeah. checks, and so he's going to have that uh, link to the RNC. He's going to be raising money for them. He needs. He needs them to be a bank account for for him. So I, I think he could exert influence through the RNC. Um, the real question I think is 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 at the end of the day, is he going to convince? Uh, is he going to convince someone to run against Dean Heller in a primary in a year that looks like it may be very strongly Democratic in the end anyway? Uh, so it might be, it might be that you're that, that you might want to wait for a better. Uh, a better cycle. Look, I, I've seen this through the years. When 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 Obama was in the White House, recruitment uh, in in the midterms, twenty ten and twenty fourteen, is harder because you know, candidates believe that in those situations, the party in power in the White House is going to have a tougher time, yeah. uh, a tougher time winning the midterms. That there's just that, that there's all, it's not a wave per se, but that that but that there's a a swing back from the. Uh, from the presidential election to the uh, to the opposition party. All right, so you're a democratic strategist. Yeah. Uh, you're advising all these different groups and candidates, I'm sure. So uh, there have been four special elections so far this year, and Democrats lost all four of them. When are Democrats going to have a win? I think Democrats are going to have are going to rack up a lot of wins in uh, in twenty in twenty eighteen. How about this year? Um, well, I think I think Virginia. I do. I I, I think Ed Gillespie is. I you know I don't know if say he's toast, but I, I believe. Uh, obviously, New Jersey, I believe, but Virginia, uh, and I and I look. I think Virginia. I think Virginia is important. Uh, I think it does help set the. It, it has tended to set the national narrative. It yeah. is the first large. Uh, it in New Jersey, the first large statewide uh, elections after uh, after a presidential election, uh, and and I th- and Virginia is a state that obviously Republicans are hell bent on on having swing back in their direction. It held really. Strong, thank God for Tim Kaine and and Mark Warner and others, uh, but it held really strong for us in uh, in 2016 while we were losing in places that we had expected to yeah. that we expected to win. So I think we'll win. I think we'll win. Uh, I think we'll win in Virginia. I think that what, what Democrats have to have to be focused on now is one that they need one they don't need to be sucked in by the media uh, that that we're responsible uh, for the agenda in Washington. We're not responsible for the agenda in Washington. Republicans control the House, they control the Senate, and they control and they control the White House. And you know, I don't like the tactics that Mitch McConnell pursued uh, during the uh, uh, during the time that Obama was in the White House. But you know, you got to admit they kind of worked. They worked for his party in the midterms, and that is to be uh, to be ironclad in your opposition uh, to the to the Republicans and and to Trump. If you believe, and if it's the principle of your party to believe that the things they're doing are bad uh, for for the country, and remain steadfast, we don't have to walk the plank on a bipartisan plan to undo parts of Obamacare just because the press thinks that we need to be involved. Yeah. We should we should lay down the principles that we would agree to, and if Republicans uh, want to go along with that, then fine. And then if this administration doesn't make the payments that help keep deductibles low that are that are due this month and the next month uh, to to insurance companies uh, that are passed on to consumers, then by God, we need to hold Republicans responsible. And so I think Democrats need and I'm not saying not run on an agenda. I think a better deal, 
obviously anything obviously anything you'll get is a better deal than what you're <laughs> right. getting right now from Republicans and Trump. I think that's fine. I think that they'll have more concrete agenda items going in uh, into 2018 and I think you I think you have to do that. I think Republicans did that effectively with the contract uh, uh, for America way back when. You and I have talked about red map, right? When Ed Gillespie, speaking yep. about Ed Gillespie, and uh, Karl Rove went out, identified states, state legislatures that they could flip mm-hmm. going into 2010 yep. for reapportionment. Yep. And that was their focus. And they raised relatively little money. It yep. was $35 million, but relatively, as you said, they raised $75 million so far this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With $35 million, they were able to basically take back the United States Congress. Yeah. Right? Well, that's right. Are Democrats, is there a blue map strategy well, for 2020. I, I was, let me tell you, I was blown away at the report of the redistricting uh, uh, committee uh, that Eric Holder and President Obama uh, are involved in. It raised $11 million in the first uh, in the first six months of this year, which for an outside, uh, outside super PAC and effort like that is, I think, a tremendous amount of money because what we're really talking about here is, that's a multi-front campaign. When you talk about trying to affect redistricting, it, it, it is it is obviously trying to go in and flip uh, legislative chambers so you'll have uh, so you have less Republican uh, influence over over redistricting. It's it's obviously trying to win governor's races in places where the governor has a role. It's legal challenges, uh, it's ballot measures. So it's a whole host of things that uh, that, that group needs to be involved in. But that eleven million dollars will go a long way towards uh, towards those goals. Also, I, you know, and I've met with them, uh, you know, this is a priority of Tom Perez. It's a priority of the DNC. And incidentally, it's a priority of, of Nancy Pelosi. So you, you know that the House Democrats are obviously involved in recruitment of, of their own member of their own candidates, obviously running uh, running races. But Nancy and uh, and 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 her uh, uh, many of her aides have been on the outside have been involved in this redistricting committee because it's critical to get um, uh, to get reapportionment right this next right. time. Right, and that means not just electing. Obviously, they're recruiting members to run for Congress, but recruiting members to run for state, right. state house, right. state senate, um, and governors. That's right, and it's putting infra, it's putting infrastructure in place. It's making sure that these people have resources that yeah. they have that mm-hmm. they have research. We have a. Oh, I just a had little, a quick. I, I, I want to ask you oh. about this, both of you guys, about <laughs> yeah. this because we haven't talked about this yet. Yesterday in Politico, uh, later on in the day. Uh, Jeff Flake put out an op-ed yes. in Politico talking about. He's got about, a new book out. He's got a new book out, but he wrote all about uh, the conser- the state of conservatism, and how Donald Trump has played into it. I just want to read a little paragraph from his piece he put in Politico. If by 2017 the conservative bargain was to go along for the very bumpy ride, because with congressional hegemony and the White House, we had the numbers to achieve some long-held policy goals, even as we put at risk our institutions and our values. Then it was a very real question whether any such policy victories wouldn't be Pyrrhic ones. If this was our Faustian bargain, then it was not worth it. If ultimately our principles were so malleable as to no longer be principles, then what was the point of political victories in the first place? This seems like a turning point for Republicans. Jeff Flake, of course, has voted with Donald Trump 96% of the time already. So I'm a little skeptical. Like so, it feels like he's selling books. So but. I, I read, I read, I do, I do think he's, I, I think he's looking to get booked on television. Sure. I think he's, you know, I, I'll, I'll take the cynical side. I, I will say that I think, you know, Flake was, 
Um, Flake was not a Trump fan during uh, during the election. I don't think it, it is. Am I right? He didn't. Even, I don't think he voted for Trump. I think he may have uh, written in right. may have written in Mike Pence. And he was um, a supportive of President Obama on immigration reform. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So 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 I think that I, I I don't want to say that there's none of this that comes <clears throat> honestly to Flake. But I, if you read all the way down to the end, when he gets to the prescription for what Republicans need to do. It's as weak tea yeah. as you could imagine. One of the things he talks about is preserving the filibuster. Yeah. He voted to eliminate the filibuster uh, to put to ram through Donald Trump's choice uh, for the Supreme Court, Neil, Neil Gorsuch. So, uh, you know, I, and he has, you know, where where he could have exerted. Look, you know, he could have done. Uh, he could have done what his counterpart in Arizona did. He could have voted against this bill. Right, he could have right. voted against. Yeah. You know, I, I think if you really believe what you wrote there, you would have complained about the process that Mitch McConnell used Absolutely. to get a bill onto the floor, which was in secret, completely behind closed doors. And let me tell you something. Let me say this. Nothing irritates me more than to hear people say, well, Democrats did it. It's no. the biggest bunch of horse hockey. I mean, I, I watched the other day. I watched yeah. about a five or ten minute clip of Obama taking questions at a town hall meeting uh, on on health care. Donald Trump hadn't held a press conference. Yeah. Remember they had that thing down at the uh, Blair House? <laughs> yes. All the Democrats and Republicans, that big, that big yes. round table with President Obama. And it was a year and a half, and I think the Republicans were able to get 185 amendments it's, or it's, something like it, that. It's insane. Obamacare. You know, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Democrats yeah. accepted amendments. They got amendments voted on. But, I mean, I think the real issue here is that they had they had hearings. Yeah. yeah. They had hearings. Yeah. They, had, they brought yeah. people in. And and Republicans had plenty of say. They didn't have the votes. All right. Now, we're, we're getting close to the top of the hour, and I can't oh, let you God, go without asking you the me. yeah about the uh, the most important issue, you know. We have had, uh, there's a big article today, the Washington Post, uh, that people are uh, getting trying to get Deval Patrick to run for president in 2020. Joe Biden, uh, Sunday in the Washington Post, he says, yeah, I'd like to be president. He's running. Uh, and then we forgot that, we don't want to ignore, let's put it this way, uh, the leading candidate for president of the United States, Jamie, We he, uh, he announced on video, this is Peter's congressman <laughs> from Maryland. Just uh, a day or so ago, um, do we have there? I see Jamie looking. John Delaney. At least we had him yesterday. Here he is. Right. This is Congressman John Delaney, and you've probably heard the big news, which is that I'm running for president. Well, maybe but, not everybody <laughs> did hear the big news. <laughs> president Delaney. I, I I missed that news. But so uh, where are we going? Is it Bernie? Is it Joe? Is it Deval Patrick? Is it John Delaney? Well, I it, it it could be John Delaney. Look, let me tell you something. I'm loath to predict. You know who our who our nominee will be. I'm loath to predict how this whole Trump uh, train wreck uh, train wreck ends. I do believe this. I think you know you you would hear. Um, right after the election, God, who we're going to run? Who's going to yeah. run against Trump? And we don't have any bench. I, we are blessed. Yeah. We are blessed. Now we need to do a lot more. I want a lot more Democratic governors that could be president one day. I want a lot, a lot more Democratic state legislators that could be president one day. Uh, where Barack Obama came from, incidentally, was a state legislature. Yep. Um, you know, I, I want a lot. I want a lot more of that. But I, I believe we're we are we are blessed. We have Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. I, I don't know if he's Elizabeth interested in running for president. I love, I love Adam Schiff. I mean, there's just there's so I think he's, you know, he's been so strong on this Russia, you know, this Russia investigation, and has got a really mm-hmm. interesting uh, personality on 
uh, on uh, on Twitter. I think there are a lot of people that have distinguished themselves. And look, we may have we may be in the situation of trying to decide if we we have two debates every time. You know, I mean, uh, right. a big table and a small table. I mean, you know, and and you know what? God bless yeah. because I, I think we need those voices um, and, and we, we need a big strong debate within our party. Great to see Brad Woodhouse. You can follow Brad on Twitter at Woodhouse B. Thank you, man. All, All right. right. Thank Great you, sir. You. Appreciate it. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Adios, muchacho. That's the word at the White House. He is out. He never even really started. The mooch was supposed to start officially on August 15, but he's been there 10 days. 10 days was too much for the new chief of staff, John Kelly, showed the mooch to the door yesterday, although don't believe there's any chaos at the White House. There's not. No, the president says no chaos at the White House. They just fired seven top White House staffers within the last six months. And who knows who who falls today. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It's great to see you. It's Tuesday, August 1. This is the B, the Bill Press Show. That's me. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital uh, right here in our studio on Capitol Hill. With all the news of the day from Washington, there's a lot of news, not just the firing of uh, Scaramucci, but also uh, the fact that the White House, uh, Washington Post reporting today that big lie about uh, what was talked about at Donald Trump Jr.'s meeting at Trump Tower. Yeah, all they talked about was adoption. We were told at the time that was a big lie, and the Washington Post reporting that that big lie was dictated and written by none other than the president himself, uh, which does raise the question and opens the door to the charge of obstruction of justice doesn't it? We'll get into that and a whole lot more here uh, with all of you on the news of the day. And we welcome as our guest a good friend, co-founder of Global Exchange and uh, the great organization Code Pink, Medea Benjamin back in the studio. Hi, Medea. Great to see you. Good to see you. And you are now just back from another trip to South Korea. I am. Right. Where there is, of course, a lot of attention given North Korea's latest missile test over the weekend. So with you and Madea, we get into the news of the day. But first, Peter this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. 2028, Bill, that is when Los Angeles will have the Olympics. They reached a deal with the International Olympic Committee yesterday. So the deal, it's, it's kind of weird. This isn't normally how we yeah, see this play no. out. But L.A. was trying to get involved on the 2024 games, but they made a deal that would allow Paris to host the 2024 games so long as L.A. got them in 2028. So that's 
big news. It's coming back to America. You've been to the Olympics in L.A.? Is in 84. Right? In 1984. Yeah. So I was not there in 1932. No? no. I, <laughs> I think L.A. can handle this, right? Well, well here's, the, here's the thing about L.A. They don't have to build a lot of new facilities. Right. I mean, uh, I went to events at the Coliseum in 84. The Coliseum was actually around in 1932, built for that mm. Olympic. But they've got, I mean, they've got incredible sport facilities. The Rose Bowl. I mean, they yeah. have incredible sport facilities well, in Los Angeles. One of the things worth pointing out here is, and I know lots of people have done reporting on this, including our friend Travis Waldron, if, if you're a city that agrees to host the Olympics, you can really put yourself into a hole by building all this stuff and putting things on. But the yeah. IOC is going to contribute $1.8 billion for planning and organizing of the Games. And they're going to be able to sort of buffer this out with sponsor agreements and other new marketing deals. So at the end of the day, L.A. is not going to drive themselves into the ground trying to, right. like you said, build new uh, stadiums and all this type of stuff. But they might be able to do this fairly this, efficiently. Will this be the gridlock to end all gridlock? It's going to be. As far as traffic goes. Oh, that's what they said in 84. And you know what? They had an incredible bus system. They they, they really. Really? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. bus system. They, really? Yes. They brought buses in. I don't know where they got them, but it was very well organized for public transit huh. at the time. Were you around then, Medea? Did you go to? Oh, I wasn't there? even born then. <laughs> in '84, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so if uh, if you do pass away, right? Like, here's a new thing that people are starting to look at. Blasting your remains out into space. There Hell is, yeah. There is a company fun, that fun. will do this for $5,000 is all that it costs. That's for not a, bad. It's not that bad. It's less than I thought. They will blast your remains into That's low probably earth. cheaper than a funeral. Yeah, yeah no, it is 10, cheaper 000, than a funeral. Right? It is absolutely cheaper than a funeral. They'll put your uh, remains in a travel-sized shampoo-sized <laughs> urn <laughs> and send you out into the atmosphere for five grand. I'm all for it, man. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Then you float around forever. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. And on a Tuesday, August 1, nobody fired yet today, uh, but we're uh, keeping track of what's uh, all the chaos at the White House yesterday, of course. Chief of Staff John Kelly, his first move, uh, he must have uh, made that deal with Donald Trump before he took the job, uh, firing uh, the uh, new kind of wannabe communications director. Hadn't really officially taken over the job yet, although he has certainly had made an impact on the White House, particularly with his vulgarity-laced rant against Reince Priebus last week. Scaramucci is out as communications director this is the man who sold his business to get a job with the Trump White House, uh, which he didn't get, but then divorced his wife. Uh, pregnant, to get it. very pregnant. Pregnant, very, very pregnant yeah, very, wife very, very at pregnant. the White House. Uh, and also sold his soul after calling Donald Trump. Uh, he say, saying America deserves better about Donald Trump. Sold his soul politically to take this job at the White House, and he's out after only 10 days. Do we feel sorry for him? Hell no. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. Medea Med Benjamin joins us. Uh, we first met in Cuba uh, on a global exchange trip uh, back in 1988, maybe? Just right after I was born. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now co-founder of the great organization Code Pink, which shakes things up here mainly in Washington, D.C. I see you often. 
in front of the White House for protests and and at the Congress and yeah, well now it's not so lonely anymore. It was lonely under the it, uh, yeah. Obama years. Now right. you got lots of people out there. You do, and you're just back from the Korean Peninsula. What were you doing there? What did you find? You know, I had been to uh, North and South Korea two years ago as part of this group called Women Cross the DMZ. Mm. Uh, we had quite an experience. But at that time, with a similar message saying there's got to be some reconciliation here. And this You time, were able to get into North Korea? We were able to get into North Korea. We were... Um, Jesus. Yeah. I, that's yeah. a little... Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I, I'm not even sure I would we have were risked. Able to get out right. of North Korea. Right. That's, that's the thing. Yeah, getting in is not <laughs> yeah. so hard, I guess. No. You know, they, even when <laughs> we were there, there were lots... We didn't go as tourists. We were yeah. part of this political group. But there were tours there. And American brought, tourists? Uh, there were no. European tourists. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but we had uh, quite a, a very profound experience meeting with people in both the North and the South and feeling this yearning for some resolution of this conflict. And then this time I went, was invited to go as part of a group that wanted to um, show solidarity in this small village where the Thad anti-missile system has been set up mm. you know it's yes. 135 miles southeast of seoul and it's this little farming village that was nice and tranquil uh growing their wonderful melons until uh, the u.s decided that it wanted that space to put up this anti-missile system and the local people say hell, hell no we don't want that anti-missile system and they've been fighting it for about a year now and when I say fighting it, this is like real fighting. These are people who go out and blockade the streets so that the uh, equipment can't come in. They do a protest every single week and every single night at that village and the neighboring city saying, we don't want this here. So they said, you know, why don't you come and see what we're talking about and why we don't want this here. And, and uh, are, are, is the United States government still building this site or have they been blocked or held back. So the THAAD missile system is is for shooting down missiles and yeah. it's a system that has six launchers in it and a radar system. So the radar system is already up and running, but instead of the six launchers it had two of the launchers and uh this was an agreement done under the corrupt last uh president who got thrown out in this nonviolent very beautiful what they call candlelight uprising. The new president who came in said, well, wait a minute, maybe we should take a look at this. <laughs> and he said, there hasn't even been a real environmental impact state assessment. Let's give it some time. And so the villagers thought, phew, now we've got a year to be showing why we don't want this, to be uh, doing more of our pressure campaign. And we thought everything was going along pretty well when we left uh, South Korea thinking these villagers are really making a statement. They've got a lot of support around the country. And then we find out, of course, in the plane that North Korea had just launched its new test and that the president had said, okay, I reversed my decision and we're going to allow these four more launchers to come in and we're going to finish the system. Well, so this system is, as I understand, I, I, I didn't know the name of the system or whatever, but I knew we were building it. Um, imagine if you don't know, like 99% uh, oh, no. of the people here don't know. But it's a common it's, word. You talk about that in South Korea, everybody knows what you're talking about. Right. Wow. Well, but the idea is, right, that so if we were to 
def, def, I guess rather than talks, we're we're, we're in this whole military strategy and counter response, right? So this THAAD system is supposed, in case North Korea were to launch any missiles towards Seoul or South Korea, this this in theory this system would take out those missiles, right? Right. So this is like a bullet hitting a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, we're supposed to believe that in their tests, it's all been successful. Well, you know, the tests are not real life. Uh, so that's one of the reasons. I mean, there's many reasons people don't like it. One is they say, we don't think it works. And there are a lot of military experts who say, well, you know, it can work in these uh, set up uh, kind of tests, but it's not going to work in reality when North Korea now knows, well, they've got to have missiles that make a kind of weird trajectory or they use decoys and uh, or there's so many missiles coming out at once. I was just going to say, yeah. or there, there'd be so many missiles coming down, you're never going to hit every one, right. get every one, right? right? So there's many reasons to, get, to say, uh, first of all, this thing doesn't, this whole, it doesn't really protect us. Second of all, it's not even near Seoul. So they say it's really to protect the U.S. bases. That's what surprised me, the first thing you said. I thought that this would be like north of Seoul. Right, though, right. How, how close is Seoul it's to the... It's very close. It's 25 miles away. To the DMZ? To the border. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's really what makes it impossible to uh, contemplate a war. Because Seoul would just be wiped mm -hmm. out. You know, they say you forget about nuclear war, just conventional warfare. What would happen to Seoul? 25 million people in that in that neighboring area. So uh, so the idea is uh, that there is this anti-missile system uh, that people there say, one, it's not going to protect us. Two, it's going, uh, it already is hated not only by the North Koreans, but by China because it's this big radar system. And China says, we know that's mm. going to, that's, that's mm. looking at us. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they also say that there hasn't been an environmental impact assessment. We don't know what all this radiation is going to do for us locally. We don't know what it's going to do for all our produce. Uh, and they say, you know, we don't want to be in the middle of this. So uh, that's why there's all this local opposition. In, in, uh, we found opposition in Seoul itself. We went to visit people from the National Assembly who said, this is like a, 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 something that should be voted on by the assembly, and we've never had a chance to vote on this. Um, so for a number of different reasons, people are saying, slow this down, let's rethink this whole thing. All right, so you're in South Korea and a couple of years ago in North Korea, but what, particularly this time in South Korea, did you hear any talk of talks? I mean, or is it all, I mean, all yes, we hear here. Yes, you know here, who we hear talks of talks from is the new president. The new president of really? South Korea yeah. says we should have talks. And um, the North Koreans, unbeknownst to most people in the United States, have been saying we should have talks. And the Chinese have been saying there should be talks. And the Chinese have reiterated what the North Koreans have said. Let's start out with a freeze for a freeze. We freeze our missile and nuclear tests and you freeze your, quote, war games. And the war games are something that's terrifying to North Korea because they keep thinking this is a mock exercise for a real invasion. And the war games even include a uh, mock dropping of nuclear weapons on North Korea. So imagine you have a paranoid, repressive government in North Korea, and then you give them good reason to be paranoid because you're doing these war games all the time. You're surrounding them with warships. Uh, you know how many uh, U.S. bases there are in South Korea? I have no idea. 83. No. 83. It's not that big a country. I know. I know. It's the size of Indiana. There's 83 oh, military bases. God. There. 
There was there just any, a, you see the Washington Post had this this piece about this else? huge Humphreys base, which is massive. Are there any uh, South Koreans in South Korea? <laughs> <laughs> well, so North Korea feels that we're encircled by all these bases, by these war games, by these warships. And then on top of that, the constant tightening of sanctions. And then there are no dummies. They say, oh, let's look around. Let's see who has um, stopped their nuclear program uh, thinking that that would make them uh, safe. Uh, and let's see, Saddam Hussein was one. Muammar Gaddafi was another one. And they say, you know, we look around and we see it must be because they didn't have nuclear weapons that they got invaded and overthrown. So, yeah, we're going to keep going on our program. Except we're willing to have talks, and the talks should lead to a real peace treaty. You know, since the armistice that was signed in 1953... There was supposed to be a peace treaty, never happened. So it's you know, many, many decades delayed. Uh, and we should have negotiations about uh, all kinds of things. For example, there was a, um, a joint uh, trade uh, corridor that ran between North and South Korea that had been opened up where South Koreans had factories and North Koreans were working with them. And that was recently closed down. And so both North and South said, well, maybe we should start this up again. Maybe there should be uh, intersections set up between the U.S. and North Korea and start, you know, the, the, the process of, of normalizing relations. But you don't hear that talk in the United States. Well, we did hear um, some talk yesterday at the White House about North Korea, which should um, make all of us feel a lot more comfortable because uh, that, uh, that everything is under control. The president asked yesterday by reporters uh, at the swearing-in for, um, for General John Kelly as new chief of staff. What are we going to do about North Korea? Here's President Trump. We'll handle North Korea. We're going to be able to handle it. It'll be, uh, it will be handled. We handle everything. There it is. There it is, especially with the we handle everything at we the end. We handle everything like, oh, at the end. Oh, we handle boy. everything. Yeah, we handle everything, right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and, and, General and, Mattis has said a, a, a war with North Korea would be catastrophic. The military knows that it would be catastrophic. So how long do we just keep going? And, you know, who wins on all of this is the, is the weapons companies. You know who makes uh, this THAAD system? I no idea. I, I don't. It's a Northrop Grumman system. Northrop Grumman, And yeah. uh, it's a, a billion-dollar system just for this one in South Korea. And uh, they love it. So let's go on to the next thing. You know, the, then the North Koreans build a better missile system. Then we need a better anti-missile system. And all of this is just money in the bank for the weapons industry. And our ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, said over the weekend, uh, the time for talks is over. Well, in the North time Korea, for talks the time for hasn't talks started this is, since she's been there, that's for sure. You know, there were talks during the Clinton years, but there really have not been talks. And given that the military people know that war is just out of the question because of how disastrous it right. would be, um, what is there left to do? So talks? you said the new South Korean president is in favor of starting, and the talks would include, I guess, China, North Korea, the United States, Japan. Japan. That's right. I mean, these are major powers in the region, and they're major economies. And so when you talk about, you know, what would war be like, imagine what would happen because it is likely that these other powers would get involved. So, yes, they, they want talks. I think it's everybody but the United States is calling for talks. 
And it's very unfortunate to have somebody like Trump in right now because, you know, now is when you need a level head to say this is getting out of hand. This is extremely dangerous. And how are we going to cool things out? Uh, Medea Benjamin with us from Code Pink. Uh, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, CodePink.org is the website or okay. info at CodePink.org if they want to. Send an email. It's amazing. We didn't even invite Medea here. She just broke into the studio and sat down and started talking. She's really good at that. She just sort of found herself here and, uh, you know, what are we going to do? I'll still never forget that when you were hauled out of a President Obama's speech at the War College, the fact that you were able to get into the audience at the War College, that just amazes me. You know, last night I went to an event in uh, at, at Georgetown, I mean, uh, GW, yeah. And as I walked into there, I remembered that I, I was here when President Obama was first elected and went to give a talk in Georgetown. And um, I managed to get into that one as well, which was quite remarkable. And, and I got a chance to talk to him. I talked to him about Afghanistan at that point. So, um, yes, they were not very, very, very hard to... Um, Infiltrate. All right. So I mentioned that you and I, I want to ask you, uh, not that we've resolved everything about uh, the Korean Peninsula, but Cuba. Um, It took a long time. Um, You and I have been working on this issue for a long time. Uh, We tried to get President Clinton at the time to get rid of the sanctions, and he didn't do much. And, you know, of course, nothing under George W. Bush. But finally, and it took President Obama a few years to get around to it, but he did the right thing. At least started in the right direction, and Donald Trump is trying to reverse all of that. What's what's going on, and and how successful? I mean, is, is he going to be able to to close the door to Cuba again? Well, sure, because what? everything that Obama did was by executive order, so he could just reverse that, and he is reversing that. We don't know yet because it's 90 days since he made the announcement that the actual regulations will come out. But what he said, uh, and what seems to be the indications, is that you can no longer go to Cuba as an individual. You know, that's something that Obama had changed. It was, it's this really hard thing for people to understand because even what Obama did, it still wasn't just open. You could just go. Right. You had to say that you were part of one of these 12 categories. But it was very easy. It's pretty easy to get it into one of those 12 categories. It was pretty easy, except people didn't know that it was that easy. Yeah. So uh, it... It didn't open the floodgates. And, and he did start commercial, commercial uh, airline flights. To right, Cuba. right, which is wonderful. And those are continuing. Now, if you really cut back on the number of people going, and already the commercial airlines found that there wasn't this flood that they thought there was going to be. So they've dropped a number of flights. They've been using smaller planes than they had anticipated. And now with these new regulations that say you can only go with a licensed travel group, um, that's really going to cut things down a lot more. Uh, and then there's the, the trade openings. Uh, and so some of the things that were lifted, you know, it would take an act of Congress to totally lift the sanctions. Uh, the, the sanctions. Mm-hmm. So Obama did some of the things that he could do. He could have done more. Um, but... Um, now we're not going to have Congress. In this Congress, they're not going to lift the sanctions. And then you have Trump saying that we're going to clamp down more. And even in this atmosphere, before the regulations come out, businesses are saying, well, we're afraid to go in there now because we don't know what's going to come out of it. 
And, you know, the regulations uh, are supposed to be, well, you can't do business with anything that deals with the military in Cuba. And the military is very involved in the tourism business. The military owns a lot of the hotels. Um, so, uh, and then there was an exception made, which I thought was pretty funny, for the cruise ships. Cruise <laughs> right, ships should, right. could still go because you weren't going to sleep there. You were just going to go oh, out during the oh, day. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> so the cruise ships confused. will continue. They will continue. Isn't it? I mean, it's a pain in the ass momentarily, but I mean, we're not going to go back to 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 the old um, what. JFK or Reagan days with Cuba, right? I mean, you you can't really. Have, have we gone too far in terms of normalizing relations with Cuba to ever go all the way back? Well, you know, it's also that the other countries have gone too far. Canada, the yeah, Europeans, yeah. you know, they're there all the time. The tourism for Canadians is flourishing. And so um, I think it's hard to go all the way back. Yeah. But I think it's a big obstacle right now, and that's why we, as Code Pink, have organized another trip that, that we're doing at the end of October, which will be right after those new regulations come out. And it'll be our way of saying we still want to be able to travel to Cuba. Um, we think that our government shouldn't tell us where to go. And by the way, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, that um, Trump just did was to actually say it's illegal, totally illegal now to go to North Korea. Not that there were floods of people that want to go to North Korea, but I don't think our government should tell us where we can go and where we can't go. And especially a place like Cuba that you'll find your uh, friends in Montreal are vacationing there every winter, um, our government should be out, not in the business of saying where we can go and can't go. So anybody that wants to stick it to Donald Trump while having a great time in a beautiful Caribbean yes, island yes. should contact, uh, go look on, on the Code Pink website, Travel with Cuba, and we have a great trip coming up. Codepink.org, and I can tell you from my own experience, going to Cuba with Medea Benjamin, you will have the time of your life. And you will dance your ass off. Uh, <laughs> and the one thing about it, there is music everywhere in Cuba. Music everywhere. It's hard to walk yeah. down a street without seeing a live band or wonderful music coming out and people have and, a good time. They have a tough and learn, life and, and learn, they have a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And you'll learn a lot, too. So uh, I encourage you to, uh, to look, look into that at CodePink.org. Um, one of the last times we talked, I think you had just come back from Syria. Um, yes, and... Uh, what is the situation there? Well, you know, of... there's something very interesting, that, that uh, a, a new change in U.S. policy that hasn't been talked about very much because of all the uh, Attention distractions. Elsewhere. No, we're not talking yeah. about Syria any, uh, at all yeah. anymore. No. But is the issue of, of the Trump administration saying they're not going to be given uh, the CIA the green light to be uh, uh, working with the rebels now? Uh, and that's quite an interesting change. Which is something that... Vladimir Putin said he wanted the United States to do. But it's also something that recognizes the reality of the situation right now, which is at this moment, Assad is not going anywhere, and that it is better to deal with the ISIS situation and then deal with Assad. Yeah. And uh, it was didn't make a lot of sense to be sort of halfway saying, oh, well, we're against Assad, but we really need to work mm. with the Russians and with Assad to deal with ISIS. So I think that's an interesting uh, new situation. On the other hand, we have some, some bad things, which is that Trump wants to send more troops to Afghanistan, uh, get us deeper involved into that. 
Um, and I've also been uh, very much uh, involved with all the civilian casualties that have been going on in Iraq with the uh, destruction of Mosul there. And uh, I think, unfortunately, way too little attention has been paid to the way that we've been fighting uh, and how Donald Trump has given uh, carte blanche to the military to uh, not pay a lot of attention to civilian casualties. And those casualties have gone way up since he's come in. The refugee problem in Syria continues? Refugee problem still terrible, um, and especially in the neighboring countries that have such a hard time uh, uh, dealing with this massive, massive flood of refugees. And um, still the problem in, of, of the Europeans trying to deal with how, how they're going to deal with this flood of refugees. So the Middle East um, continues to be in terrible, terrible turmoil. And what we haven't seen, Bill, is what's going to happen now to take the place of the places that ISIS had been controlling. Mm. Who's going to fill that vacuum? And what is the next round of fighting that's going to come in? And so I think, you know, we have never really dealt, dealt with uh, the um, massive unrest that we helped to unleash in the Middle East and uh, have not. Well, I must say, starting with Afghanistan, which is where we began, and now it's what, 15 years, 14, 15 years? 16 years. Fif 16 years. 16? 16 years. 16 years. By far the longest running war in the United States. Yeah. And Donald Trump is considering, I, I hasn't made that announcement yet, I guess, of sending, as you pointed out, 4,000 more troops. Yeah, it's like to, gonna be to Afghanistan. In. So yeah. this is a, a, a Trump surge in Afghanistan. After 16,000, we've put 4,000 more troops there. 16 years, 4,000 more troops there. After all the things that Donald Trump said in his campaign about how we're not going to do this stuff yeah, and it doesn't right. make sense, uh, here he is not only continuing those policies, but he's going to get us deeper involved in them. Should we just pull out of Afghanistan? We should just pull out of Afghanistan. We should just be pulling out of the Middle East. Our... our uh, our track record in the Middle East is so disastrous that people think it couldn't be worse without the United States. I mean, let's U.S. has been in Afghanistan all these years and the Taliban is back. Uh, the U.S. has just created such a disaster. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of work on U.S. Uh, involvement with Saudi Arabia. And there you see that the U.S. is supporting the regime that is spreading this extremism. So people in the Middle East are saying, what the hell? You are selling all these weapons. These weapons up end up in the hands of the extremists that are creating so many of the problems that the U.S. says it's against. And so what is this all about? And I guess, Bill, we kind of go back to where we started when we talked about Korea, which was who gains from all of this? And I see it as this multi, multi, multi-billion dollar weapons industry that has Absolutely. made so much money from all of this. And that brings me to one thing I wanted to mention, which is that we are working with other groups to finally say, we've got to just start focusing on the weapons industry and do a campaign to say, divest from the weapons industry, whether it's through your, uh, your church, your city, your pension fund, your university, 
Um, let's start making it something negative to be supporting a weapons industry that has kept us into wars since 9-11 now for the last 16 years with no end in sight. And go back to the warning of uh, President Dwight Eisenhower when he was leaving the White House about the military-industrial complex. You take that speech. It is such a powerful speech. So powerful, so Almost. relevant to today. Yeah. And you can take the speeches that I just went back to yesterday to look at Pope Francis, who has said... Yeah. That why are we in all these wars? Could it be that it's for profit? I think so. And if we don't do something he says about taking on the weapons industry, then we are complicit. So all of the Catholics that are listening to your show right now should say, yes, I'm going to contact Code Pink and I'm going to work with you to do something about this out of control weapons industry. She is stirring things up globally, not just here in Washington, D.C., Medea Benjamin with Code Pink. It's codepink.org. Thanks, Medea. Thanks for all you're doing. Thanks, Thanks for coming for in. Me on. Good Have to fun see you. in Cuba. Okay. All right. We'll be right back with uh, to talk about chaos. Oh, no, there's no chaos at the White House. What is going on? We'll be right back. It will be handled. We handle everything. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, have a good one. Tuesday, August 1, uh, here we are, The Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill, with all the news of the day, not only from here in Washington, around the country, and around the globe. Joining you coast to coast on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, also on Free Speech TV, looking good out there in TV land today. Thanks for joining us. And, of course, in the Chicago area, all greater Chicago on WCPT. Hello, hello, Chicago. Yes, indeed. And we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox keeping our uh, federal government running every single day, serving Americans, uh, people who are proud to wake up and uh, work for America every single day at the AFGE.org. You can check out their website. Uh, chaos at the White House. Donald Trump says, no way. But we saw a little chaotic situation yesterday. Aisha Roscoe covers the White House for Reuters. Joining me at the White House briefings. Hello, Aisha. Nice to see you. Hi. Thanks for uh, having me. How do you rate um, uh, things are just normal at the White House, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that it's it's it would be difficult to say that it's it's normal. Uh, and certainly there has been a lot of turmoil in the past couple of days. And so when you're getting... Um, just frantic messages. This one stepped down. You know, Spicer's out, Rice is out, Scaramucci's out. And as a White House reporter having to run back to the White House, run up to upper press uh, to kind of stake out officials, uh, that's not really normal, I don't think. No, no way. <laughs> no. No. Uh, and uh, I, I mentioned earlier, CBS News last night had a full screen of seven people um, seven who worked in the Oval Office, or I mean, right in the West Wing, yeah. who've been fired. 
since Donald Trump took over, which was, remember, just about the end of January, so yeah. five months, not six yeah. months. And that doesn't count James Comey and Sally Yates fired at the Justice Department, yeah. right? So so uh, what's your take on uh, General Kelly's ability to uh, um, get things under control? Well, I think that that's, that's what everyone's going to be looking at. Can he actually get things under control? I, it's going to be a very tough job, you would think, because President Trump is kind of this freewheeling. He likes to he doesn't like to be controlled, obviously. He likes to tweet whatever he wants to tweet. And uh, a lot of times that just steps on whatever message the White House is trying to get out. I think some people that are supportive of General Kelly believe that he can get the staff under control and that he, maybe he's not going to focus so much on getting President Trump under control, <laughs> but he'll right. focus on getting the staff under control. And then by doing that, It'll bring some order to the White House. I, I think that remains to be seen because obviously if you have President Trump tweeting something, you know, about Morning Joe on a day when they're trying to do something on health care, the distraction is going to be there regardless of how much the the staff is in control. Now, one little indication, and we're, we're not, not sure what this means, is that so far today we have not heard from Donald Trump. <laughs> Then, so just, we haven't. Yet, yet, no, he yet. hasn't tweeted. Uh, and this and is uh, the first like full day, if you will, of John Kelly <laughs> on the job. So he hasn't. Of tweeted. course, it's only uh, here on the East Coast. <laughs> not even nine a.m. yet, right? So. Yeah. You know, I forgot who it was that wrote this, and I'm embarrassed. I can't give them credit for it. But somewhere I saw on Twitter, Donald Trump doesn't really want to be president. Donald Trump wants to be communications director. You know, like he wants to be the guy to control the message. He wants to be the one to get the message out there. He wants to be the one to deliver the news, to deliver the, whatever it is. Leadership and governing and digging in on the policy of things is not really what he wants to do. It's mixing it up with the media. That's what he really wants. Well, he is a media personality. Yeah. Totally. So on the question, one of the things that, uh, not feeling sorry for Reince Priebus, but it is true. He was put in an impossible situation from the beginning uh, because Ivanka, Jared Kushner, Steve Bannon did not report to him. And at the end, Scaramucci came in under the terms that he would not report to him. So John Kelly is in. Steve Bannon, Ivanka, Jared Kushner, who do they report to? Right now, they're saying that they all report to Kelly. Um, they're making a very strong show Baloney. of saying that they all <laughs> that they all report to Kelly, and everyone's kind of lining uh -huh. up and and making nice and saying, "Look, they all report to Kelly." But of course, like you said, I mean, when the president is your father or your father-in-law, I, I mean, you know, of course, it, the the relationship that they have with the president. I mean, you have to imagine that it kind of supersedes. Um, kind of normal reporting lines or more normal chain of command. But that's what the, the White House is saying right now is that everyone reports to Kelly, and they're really stressing that. That's the official word. That's the official word, yeah. Right, right. So Ivanka is going to knock on General Kelly's door and say, can I see daddy? <laughs> can I see my daddy? Well, yeah. that, I mean, that's, that's the argument that they're making. That You know, and she tweeted yesterday she's looking forward to working alongside oh. General Kelly. And some people have taken – looked at that word alongside, but 
They're they're saying that they're going to be reporting to him. But isn't it also true that it was uh, Ivanka and Jared Kushner who brought Scaramucci to the White House? That that is the <laughs> so that so that is what uh, the thought is is that they were very supportive of Scaramucci. He was a family friend, and yeah. that they really wanted to bring him in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there are a couple of stories the last today even about about the role of Ivanka. I mean. It was said early on she was going to be the moderating influence. I mean, Gene yeah. Robinson in the Washington Post has a column on this this morning, that she was going to be the moderating influence in the White House. Mm-hmm. She was going to keep her father you know, in control, uh, that the focus on women's issues. She was going to make sure that there was no reversal on LGBT issues, right? And And... I mean, Ivanka's Ivanka's role and her influence. I I mean, I think that that's it's it's very it's it's not really known like how much influence she has. I mean, obviously there was like the Paris Climate Accord, where she supposedly yeah, where she was supposed to be advocating on behalf of him staying Mm -hmm. in. He didn't do it. Obviously, on LGBT rights, you had the transgender policy come out last week. I mean, she has kind of kept her head down. She's talked about apprenticeships. She's talked about women in the workforce. So she has, she's she's doing that work, but it hasn't been prominent. And no, there there hasn't been like legislation or anything to really move it forward, other than I guess that fund with the World Bank um, that she she's kind of somehow connected with. The one thing that I think is so consistent among people with the last name Trump is to put themselves way out there on something, and then when it doesn't go their way, say, whoa, whoa, folks, so what, why are you looking at me for this? You know, Trump, yeah. tr- like on health care, Trump campaigned on day one, we're going to repeal health care. On day one, we're going to repeal health care. And as soon as health care is essentially for now dead, he's going, whoa, 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 what happened to the senators? You guys didn't do anything. You left me hanging. What happened? He's the president. He doesn't understand how health care works. He made zero pitches for Trump care. It's the same thing with Ivanka. Like, she's put herself way out there on a lot of different issues. And as soon as it doesn't go her way, then it's like, oh, whoa, what are you guys beating up on Ivanka for? She's nobody. She's not. I mean, she has an official role in the White House. She has an office in the White House. You, you can't just, like, say you're going to take the lead on something, and then when it doesn't go your way, point the finger to somebody else. The... Um We've heard from the White House uh, on another uh, related issue uh, that whatever happened at that meeting at Trump Tower with Donald Trump Jr. and the uh, Kremlin representative, people close to the Kremlin, uh, that Donald Trump, the president, had nothing to do with it. He did not yeah, know about it beforehand. He did not know about it afterwards until he read about the New York, heard about the New York Times. And... Um, now, the Washington Post reports this morning that the first word from the White House about that meeting is that all they talked about was adoption, nothing to do with politics, that that statement, going to the White House, to the Washington Post, was dictated by Donald Trump president himself on the way back from the Hamburg summit, uh, and it's not true at all. Yeah. turned out to be. In fact, yeah. Jared Kushner testified. It wasn't that this wasn't true. So um, is, is this a problem for the president in terms of obstruction of justice? Well, I'm not a legal expert, so I'm not sure if it's yeah. a problem in terms of obstruction of justice. It's definitely a, a political problem, um, could be a legal problem. And I think that's why it's being highlighted. Uh, and the, the ability of this 
the inability of this White House to kind of get its arms around this Russia story in a way to to kind of diffuse it in any way. It just hasn't been there. So you have story after story coming out contradicting previous stories, and it just adds to, uh, I mean, it adds to the problem of the the Russia thing that right. that President Trump hates so much, but they haven't been able to get any control over it because continually things are being contradicted. Right, uh, it won't go away, and part of <laughs> and, and partly because, as you you point out, um, they keep getting caught in, in lies, and and not and and it's all of them. Jay Sekulow, the president's attorney, has said on several occasions the president had nothing to do about nothing to do about, it. and now and now. I'm sure Sarah Sanders will probably repudiate this or refute this today, but now this Washington Post story, oh, no, it was the president who said, here's how we handle that. What we're going to say is all they talked about was adoption, and it turned out not to be true. Yeah, And, I mean, and this is, these are leaks coming out. Uh, you know, General Kelly is in charge now, so supposedly part of what he's going to be doing is trying to get control of these leaks, and it also shows how hard of a job that General Kelly is going to have. I mean, when you have even the lawyers getting caught up in, you know, the questions of are they telling the truth, they're being contradicted. So, uh, I mean, it, it just shows how difficult a position that General Kelly is kind of walking into. Right. Um, the other thing we've heard from Sarah Sanders the last few days is that all we care about is moving forward, sticking to the message, moving forward with the uh, agenda. Uh, and at one time, I mean, he said kind of both things in the same day, but Donald Trump said, oh, healthcare is dead. We can't get everything we want. So let's move on. Let's go to tax reform. And then the next, now the last couple of day, uh, tweets have been, no, senators, you can't give this up. You got to keep going. You got to give me a healthcare bill. I mean, which is it? What is the policy of what, the White House? Th that's what, I, I think that's what everyone wants to know because it'll go back from, you know, President Trump in the space of hours went from, Okay, I've always said he'll go back to I've always said just let Obamacare implode. Right. And so and, and that's I what we're going right to do. And I was right. So let's let it implode. And then he'll go, no, you need to vote on something. And then he'll go, I know you guys aren't quitters, so you better vote on this. So and it so it go and then he'll yeah, start totally threatening. conflicting message. Yeah. 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 So it's so what they actually want to happen. I mean, I think. They don't, you know, President Trump doesn't want to be seen as losing out on this, what was his signature issue. So he wants something to be done. He wants to sign something. What? But there doesn't seem to be a path for that. So right now it's kind of like, you know, the administration is spinning his wheels a bit. So um, they kind of want it both ways, maybe. So are they ready to move on? And if they move on, what's next? It's tax reform. I mean, uh, Gary Cohn was talking yesterday. Um, he was at a listening session with real estate trade groups talking about taxes. And, you know, I was there. And, you know, he, he says, you know, he puts a very positive spin on it. Obviously, he says they're ready to move ahead. He's worked him and the group of six with the Republican leaders in the mm -hmm. House and Senate that they're ready, you know, that they agree almost 100 percent on where they want to go. They just need to write the legislation. So they're saying and and they're and he repeated again that the president is 100 percent committed to getting it done this year. So tax reform will be done this year, according to what the White House is saying. So, I mean, that's that's where they're headed, but they can't really get 
pass the the healthcare thing. Not as long as the president is tweeting, "Don't vote on anything else," and right. as long as they're saying that, you can't really move ahead. Uh, so, if they're going to get the um, tax reform done by the end of the year, where's the bill? It, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't exist right now. Oh, Gary Cohn oh, was saying oh, that they're oh. that they're hoping they'll write it when they get back from the August recess. Um, you, he was saying it's crunch time in the next three weeks or so that you know people are going to be working and they're hoping that the the bill will. I mean, it's 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 very ambitious, obviously, um, to try to get tax reform done this year. But maybe I mean, but it's something that you know Republicans are very supportive of so maybe and they'll want to get something done uh on the foreign policy front um our favorite clip of the day here uh on the on the bill press show we uh one thing we don't have to worry about uh anymore uh is north korea uh as the president told you we might have been there yeah, in the oval there. office yeah, yesterday uh when this. he reassured us here he is we'll handle north korea we're going to be able to handle it will be uh, it will be handled we handle everything. There it is. It, it will be handled. So when you heard that it yesterday, you probably said, oh, I'll put my notebook away. Don't have yeah, to worry about yeah. North Korea. Right? Problem solved. Well, I think North Korea is obviously a very difficult issue for any administration. I think um, President Trump has kind of veered back and forth between being very accommodating of China and saying they're working really hard. Oh, we believe, you know, President I'm not going to. was going to handle the whole yeah, thing. He was so we didn't have it. to worry yeah. about it for a while because. China was going to yeah, take Yeah, and he wasn't going to, you know, call yeah. them currency manipulators and he wasn't going to be mm-hmm. tough on them from trade because and then he kind of was saying, "Look, I understand. They have a tough relationship with North Korea. They have this very long history." And so, I mean, he's talked about this idea, I guess getting this um he's got this historical perspective now or or that he's learned about the relationship between China and North Korea, but then he gets kind of upset and angry and goes, "China could fix this in a day. They haven't." So now I'm, I'm. It's not acceptable anymore. So again, again, he put himself way out there on this, and now it hasn't happened, and now he's going to blame China. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, even earlier on in the administration, um, you know, Secretary of State Tillerson put out that very like brusque um, response to one of the the missile launches, where he said, "We're not going to respond to this anymore. We're not going to talk about this anymore," and that that didn't last. You know, so they've they've been kind of all over the place with the response to North Korea. Uh, r- r- yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, is Sessions going to uh, survive? I mean, it seems like it. I mean, yesterday, uh, Sarah Sanders. Now, and and I say that. I, I don't want to put myself out there too far because in this administration, I don't want to mm-hmm. say that anyone's going to be around mm-hmm. for any amount of time because you could easily be contradicted. Given what we've yeah, seen, yeah, but I think he—it he, seems like he wants to stay. He's gonna—he's not going to leave on his own. He's going to make them fire him. Yesterday, <laughs> Sarah Sanders did say that the president unequivocally that the president has a hundred percent confidence in all of his cabinet. So that seemed to really to say, look sessions everyone's staying at this point and that they're not going to try to move him to dhs either that which so, was a rumor there yeah. for for uh at least a day or yeah so i mean so right now that's the message that the administration is putting out right um uh, but again there's no chaos at the white house no none it's a great day at the white house <laughs> is what he said yesterday at the end of the day 
What, what? By the way, which is what we're talking about, yes. Donald Trump and his Twitter oh, feed. Oh, he did no. tweet this morning. Oh, he said he hasn't oh. tweeted yet this morning. Um, he tweeted about oh, the stock market. It. He says yes. stock market could hit all-time okay. high, parentheses, again. 22,000 today was 18,000 only six months ago on Election Day. Mainstream media seldom mentions. Just that, that, no major news there. just felt like I had to put that out there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? The market has gone up. There's it has been this up. Trump bump. Yeah. Can't deny it. I think what's remarkable about that and, uh, and is that the global market kind of ignores the chaos at the White House. It just keeps trucking along, right? <laughs> I think Trump can do whatever he wants. So let's hope it continues. Hope it uh, it continues that way. I wanted to ask you about as someone who uh, goes to the briefings regularly. Um, what what is your take on? Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the way the briefings are conducted today compared to the way we saw them under the Obama administration. Uh, You might have been there before that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I saw uh, Josh Ernest in the Obama administration. I mean, it's it's, it's totally different. Um, But I think Sarah Sanders has done, you know, a a good job, especially – she she's done a good job, I guess. You know, coming after Sean Spicer, who was very kind of volatile in the way that he, <laughs> that he reacted to the press. So she's been much more an calm, and she's been much more kind of level uh, in in the way that she's responded to us. I think Please that calm down. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't answer many questions. She does, she but doesn't. I think that's that's the issue. Is that I think as a reporter, sometimes the frustration can be. That I did feel like with the Obama administration, every press secretary is spinning, but it would seem like, you know, Josh Ernest would come out and make an argument, whether it was, you know, spin or not. He's making yeah. an argument. I think that sometimes with this White House, it seems like they'll come out and we'll have no argument at all. Like the transgender things happened. And then it's just like, well, we're working with defense and no answer for how it came about, no defense of why we're doing this, no numbers. Or no, no explanation numbers. of what it means, no, yeah, or no, anything. So, yeah. no, I mean, at least, you know, whatever you think of the policy, at least tell us why you're doing this, what's going on, you know, what what is your rationale for this? And it's just kind of like that doesn't happen. No, I was there that day when the transgender thing had just broken. I remember that's the day that she said, if you guys just keep asking questions yeah, about is. this, I'm going to just leave, right? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, and she seems that that's R- the thing. Rather than get... answer a question, she yeah. said she was going to run, and she didn't answer at all. All she kept saying was, we talked to the generals, and it's a, it, it was a question of military readiness, period. Yeah. But didn't explain how it affects military readiness, what are the specific issues. Yeah, it's just, I mean, and so I think that that's the thing where they'll kind of come out and say, this is what we have to say, that's it, we don't have any more, and not really make an argument or whatever it is for the policy. Ironically, uh, the one thing that Scaramucci did do in his 10 days was bring the cameras back. He did. He did bring them back. To the briefings. He said, well, on his first day, he said, we're going to have cameras there. (laughs) Um, when are we going to have a um, full-fledged news conference by President Trump? It's Not a, one of these things where with you the know, two and two, with the two with and the two in, in the foreign with the it, foreign leader. It doesn't seem like they want to do that at all. I mean, they had that first one, which was really um, all over the place. Yeah. Um, and and so it it does not seem that I I don't know whether it's President Trump. I would imagine President Trump probably would like it. He likes kind of bad, you know. Going with the press, I was on the uh, the trip to Paris where he came back for an hour 
and talk to reporters in the back of the plane. So I think he likes the back and forth. I So I would imagine maybe his staff is the one who's like, no, let's not do a full-fledged um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, press conference because, you know, they may not know where exactly that will head. Well, yeah, tell us more about that in the uh, in the Air Force. So he just came back and just he came hung back out? And, and was, uh, he came back and was talking, you know, and answering questions. It, it was supposed to be... You know, That's off the, one the record. Was off it was supposed record, to be off right. the record, but he then felt he like but he felt he wanted it to be out. Um, you know, later I guess he thought that it was on the record, or or part, that most of it would be on the record. He wanted to get out what he was saying about you know Russia. He was talking about you know visiting Paris, all that stuff. So I mean, he came back, and I mean he's engaging. You know, when he comes back, it's not. You don't see the side of uh, President Trump where it's like, oh, I hate the media. You don't see that when he comes back. When he comes back, he's talking, you know, he's joking around. He's, you know, he's not, I hate the press, I hate the New York Times. It's very friendly to, <laughs> to, to the reporters. He didn't call you the enemy of the American people? He didn't call us the enemy of the American people or anything. And like I said, he stayed back there an hour. He didn't have to come back. It's very late. Like, yeah. you know, we're flying, you know, to Paris. So it's, right. a, it's a long flight. It's very late. Everyone needs to, we're going to have to get up and, you know, run straight from the plane to start working. But he stayed back there for an hour. And, like, even Sarah Sanders was going, hey, I think everybody wants to go to sleep. And he was like, no, I think they want me to keep going. And so he kept going, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> was he drunk? No, no, he doesn't drink. No, he doesn't drink. Allegedly. And that we know of. Allegedly. Yeah. All right. Well, interesting time to be where you are indeed. Thanks, Aisha. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. You can follow Aisha at Whiters.com. Have a great day, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.